Welcome to the Premium Finance Show. Interviews and insights from industry professionals, helping you use financed insurance to provide tax-free withdrawals and extended estate protection. The Premium Finance Show is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, John McDonough. On this episode of the Premium Finance Show, we get to talk to Mike Bell, president of First Financial Resources. Mike brings tremendous industry experience to the conversation, formerly the head of Pacific Life Insurance Distribution across North America. Mike has seen many different phases of this industry. His insight as to what we're facing right now regarding premium finance and the way Cool Springs does business is a valuable conversation you don't want to miss. Listen to this episode of the Premium Finance Show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Premium Finance Show. John McDonough here, uh, Senior Managing Director with Cool Springs Financial. And I am thrilled to death to have Mike Bell, President at First Financial Resources, as our guest today. And he brings a, a vast experience in the industry, years and years of experience in the industry. I'm going to let Mike, you go through your bio, your background, if you will, but I don't want to make you sound super old because um, you just you're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did see, I did see you started as a producer in 1979. I don't want to tell you the year I was born, but it was around there. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, go Mike, let's just get back to calling it experience. <laughs> All right, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're really a busy man. Yeah. So the listeners can know exactly the experience that you have. Can you walk us through your professional background? You know what? I joined Pacific Life in 79 as a career producer. I was 20 at the time and I spent the first seven to eight years of my Time in the business as a producer. Then I, I took over the local branch office for Pacific Life in San Francisco, and I ran that for 10 years, which gave me the recruiting experience that I needed. Then I went into the home office to take over a distribution and marketing and eventually took over running the life operation. I was at Pacific Life for 35 years and decided that it was uh, time for a break. I took a, a year and a half off and came back, looked around, decided I wanted to be on the producer side of the business and started talking to Judd here at FFR and started as a consultant and just worked and having a great time doing it with uh, Mike Babikian. And, and, it's, and it's a pleasure to be working with the producers on this side again. Yeah, we're going to come back to, to FFR and you being the president of the most prestigious producer group in the country, but you really you underscored in a very humble way your trajectory within Pacific Life. You were a rock star, for lack of a better terminology on my part, to go from producer in eight years to then branch manager to then get into the home office and, and, and distribution and then work your way all the way up to running the life division of arguably the biggest universal life company out there. And that's a tremendous trajectory. Did it 
when you look back on it, does it seem, obviously it seems real, but do you look back and be like, yeah, that's pretty impressive. You know what? While you're in the middle of it, you don't stop and think about it. But yeah, when I look back and think it was quite a run, it was a quite a 35 year run and it was quite a run for Pacific Life at that time too. So it, we, we had a lot of fun and we made a lot of impact in the industry. And I wish every senior executive in a life insurance operation had to spend at least a minimum of a year in the field before they moved into that position. Because just too many people in the home office don't have any experience of what you do on the outside. And it changes the way you manage. It changes the way you look at things when you know what the producer's going through and and their mind thought. And so I was talking to Sam, our chairman and founder of Cool Springs Financial, and he said the exact same thing. He says, when you are in the life insurance business, and obviously Cool Springs, we do structured finance transactions. So it's not just your typical pay a premium, wait for a death benefit to occur, but the end result is still the same. He said, when you deliver a death claim, it changes you in this yep. business. And and when you sit across a dinner table from a family and get them to make that loving decision to get life insurance, it changes you. And I would agree. People in our industry have been placed into some of these executive roles and they're strictly on the accounting side or they're coming in from a consulting side and they have never been in the business like you've been into it. So that's why well, you're really successful. You know, and it, I, my mantra in the home office, and it's amazing how few people even understood it, was insurance is bought, it is not bought, it's sold. Nobody calls us up to buy life insurance. Yeah. Maybe a term policy. Everything else has to be sold by a, 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 an agent. And people sometimes think, oh, we'll go on the internet. We'll do it that way. We'll do this way, do that way. That's fine for term insurance, but for sophisticated sales and sophisticated products will not move without a producer there, an agent to, to sell it. And yeah. And oftentimes you people that. Yeah. And oftentimes I feel like the home office of these carriers views the distribution as a nuisance as opposed to a asset. It's not a nuisance as much as they fear them. They're afraid of them. What are they afraid of? You know what? If they haven't been out in the field, producers are unique individuals who don't hold back. And some executives in the home offices don't like to be told the truth or look at what's good or bad in their companies and producers don't hold that back. I used to tell people in, in, at Pacific Life, when that phone rings, it's an opportunity. Everybody in that home office is in marketing. If you're the last person who talked to that producer, it's all on you, whether he does business with us in the future. So That's I don't right. care what job you have in the home office, you are in marketing and just got to keep reminding that no no great idea has come from the home office. Great ideas can go to the home office and the home office can help make them better, but they don't start there. That's a good point. And, and that mentality, Mike, is why I believe this is right. When you left Pacific Life, you were number one with M Group, number one with NFP, number one with FFR, two at Lion Street. Is that right? Number one, selling IUL product and VUL products in the marketplace. And you had the number one brokerage company when you left. It was a great run. It was a great (laughs) run. And and really, I I give credit to that of some very good people and and stuff that worked in the home office from Jim Morris on down. But really, the secret to my success 
was having been in the field. And I just understood what agents were going through and I could talk to them. And it's amazing how many people in the home offices can't or don't want to. One, well, of, the think- things, one of the things we say here at FFR, one of the uh, mantras here is go direct and get control. Because, John, it's much more important that the insurance company knows you than FFR. Yeah. We want to make sure that when you call, they answer the phone and know who you are. The the biggest mistake uh, carriers have done over the last 20 years is they have handed over their relationships with producers to third parties. And they're paying the price for it. They don't know their business. They don't understand the producers. Because they're doing business with BGAs or third parties, and they never get to meet the producer. Yeah, they're two steps removed as opposed to being directly in a relationship with that producer. And really that much closer to the client as well. Yeah, and that to me is the big disconnect still in our business. What do you think has changed? So you hired most of the executives that are there at PacLife today. But as an industry, what do you think's changed since you left PacLife either from a carrier perspective or from an industry perspective? What do you think has changed the um, most? Pace of change. The, the Things are changing so fast, whether it be product or what. It used to be when you're in the home office and you came out with a new product, you've put it out, out to the marketplace. And if there were you made mistakes on it, you could always go back a, a few years later and make some improvements and do stuff. Now, if you misprice a product, the producers will recognize it before you do, and they'll sell more of it before you can take it off the shelf. Just look at one of the good examples I was talking with Mr. Babikian about. Look at uh, AG49. Mm-hmm. Used to be, if they came, like when they did variables, illustrations, and stuff like that, they came in with a rule, and you didn't hear from them again for 10 years about it. This AG49 has been in effect for, what, a year, and they're already t- talking about making additional changes to it? Yeah, they're talking. We're we're already on AG forty nine A, and they're talking about a B as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's how quick the the pace of change is going, and the maturation, the maturation of premium fund. You got got to remember, I was there during the Stoli days, and to see it go from there to where it is now, and that's because of organizations like yours, Cool Springs that have brought legitimacy and real service to that marketplace and aren't selling people who don't need it and shouldn't be in it. Yeah. On that point, are you seeing, cause you see, we see a lot at cool Springs. We see a lot of what other people out there are designing, either those that are full-time in the premium finance space or those that are part-time in the premium finance space, just trying to, win a deal, win a one-off deal from a client. But are you seeing things out there that give you comfort about the premium finance industry? Or are you seeing things out there that give you concern right now? Both, depending on where the business is coming from. I, I What makes me feel good about the premium financing business is, is firms like CoolSpring. And quite frankly, when somebody comes to me and says, hey, I got this premium finance case, what should I do? The first thing I do is send them to, to an organization like yours and say, selling it is going to be the easiest part. How are you going to service it two years from now? How are you going to service it when the loan comes due? What are you going to do? And and these a lot of the producers don't even know what the tail end of this stuff involves. And so to me, that's the scary part of the business. Uh, the good part of the business is the cool springs of the world 
who, who are doing it. And we need more of them out there. And producers, look at that. Uh, they'll go, well, I don't want to split the case. And I say, well, you don't, you won't get the case. You just won't get it. It's, it's part of the education. Or if you do get it, you might have a lawsuit come in a couple years down the road. Back Absolutely. Because that's looking at that marketplace, John, and you tell me you're into it more. One of the cool things about Cool Springs and Sam Watson is he's old. <laughs> and, I, and I mean that in a good way in that Sam's been in the business a long time as well. And Sam has sold this when interest rates were going up and when interest rates were going down. Not a lot of people out there that are selling it today have got, have been through an increasing interest rate environment. And I, I worry a little bit on some of those producers that they're, I don't know if they're going to be able to renew these contracts when they got to go and, and with a higher loan. I, I don't know. I don't know what to expect. That's the mystery for me going forward with interest rates increasing. I had a really good talk with Sam and he brought up, Three really good points, like a three-legged stool in a rising interest rate environment. So just real quick. Number one, when you do business with companies that keep their promises like Pacific Life does to their clients, that have a 0% floor, that have an uncapped strategy for crediting, that historically don't raise cost of insurance on their clients on an existing book of business. That's a huge component, number one. Number two is we're dealing with wholesale lending, not retail lending. So Sam's of the opinion that in the wholesale lending space, when we're talking about the SOFR rate, not the Fed funds rate, that we're, yeah, we're going to see an uptick, but it's not going to be as severe an uptick as what we're seeing in the prime, let's just say, rate, where it's at the retail level for cars and things like that. So that's the second thing is while interest rates are going to rise, we actually want that rising interest rate environment. So ultimately, the yield, the insurance company's general account can actually increase to pass that on with higher caps and spreads, things like that in the uncapped strategies. But he also said the inflationary environment that we're in, while it's bad for cash and it's bad for cash flow, as you were, and buying consumer staples, it's actually not a bad thing for assets. Assets are inflating at the same time. So people are getting wealthier. If our clients are getting wealthier, when we do business in the premium finance space, we're talking to, at a minimum, accredited investor status are up, right? It's not that bad. It's bad in certain places, but it's not bad in every place. Right. And, And you guys who have focused in the right places, the ones that scare me are the ones that aren't connected with a firm like yours, the one-offs out there who sold a big commission, yeah. but they really don't know what to expect. And, and so hopefully, look, at for the economy and for business, a, a, an increasing interest rate from where we are is a good thing. For the insurance companies, it's a good thing. What they don't want is a spike. So if yeah, interest rates are, are managed upwards in a smooth way, we'll all do really well. If they spike up, then that's when you got problems. Are you seeing agents, high-end agents, like premium finance agents, are you seeing agents and carriers aligned these days? Better, but I, it gets back to that relationship issue. Okay. I, 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 
what I'd like to see some of the bigger uh, firms do, the ones that you're doing business with, they need to do business with people they trust. So they should find the premium finance producers that they trust and then let them do their business. Because you, as a carrier, this producer, you trust this producer. He's given you good quality business. He's had a chargeback, but he's paid you back. Those are the guys you want to do business with. And then you should let them do their business, not necessarily micromanage what they're selling, as long as you're comfortable with that firm and what they've done with you. I think that would go a long ways in helping the relationships and stuff. But there are still plenty of companies out there that don't get premium financing. Carriers don't understand it. It scares them. We've sent a few of them to Sam. And the first thing I tell Sam is don't tell them how much you can give them. (laughs) (laughs) They'll run away. (laughs) You'll scare them. So how do you, in your capacity as president of FFR, how do we try to bridge that educational gap with these carriers? How do we get them more interested to to really take a good look at this type of face-to-face meetings, showing them what you're doing, what you're not doing. Let them see what you're doing. Let them take shots at it. Go back and forth to where both sides get comfortable with what's going to be sold and marketed there. And that's really much more for the carrier than the producer. The carriers need to get comfortable. Our, what are they uncomfortable with? Three or four carriers like premium financing. They want premium financing. They're competitive in premium financing. But then we have some carriers that uh, aren't. They just don't understand it. And, and what and, don't they understand? So that's the question I'm asking. What don't they understand? What, yeah, As an executive, what do you think that they're afraid of? Free insurance. Bottom line. They don't believe in it and they don't want it sold that way. And it's and in some executives mind, that's what premium financing is. When we looked at premium financing early on, we just saw it as the alternative to split dollar because split dollar had gone away. Really, it is mm-hmm. split dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at it that way, you, you, you get comfortable with it pretty easily. Uh, but there are companies out there that still think what's being sold is free insurance and stolen. They, they haven't educated themselves to the current marketplace. And so it's our job when we come across them to bring in you and Sam and the hitters out there to spend some time with the carrier and walk them through the whole process. And then take it, you almost got to take them through a case at a time for a while till they get comfortable. From their underwriters to senior marketers. If they have a lot of underwriters, but they don't have a lot of advanced underwriters, you're not going to get anywhere. That's right. Yeah, because we are not in the small... Hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollar, million dollar range in terms of death benefits face amounts. We're typically twenty, forty, sixty. As you yeah. that can be and overwhelming to smaller carriers. Yes, they can be. And they look at the the numbers. We're in a uh, a weird place in our industry right now. And when I was talking to Mister Babikian and I, we're at a time where there's more demand than supply. Mm. I cannot mem- remember a time in our industry where it's been that way, where you've seen carriers and some of our carriers where they've just said, we're going to get out certain distributions. Now we're talking a long time, all the way back to 1979. Is that still true? (laughs) Back in the old days on the cup, when we came over in the covered wagons. (laughs) How did you write apps under, under candlelight? Was that difficult? It's uh, we were creative, John. (laughs) 
they but that is true. There's the hot wax, and that's all we needed. One of the things I, I was thinking about, um, one of your questions I know was going to be about AG forty nine and the and yeah. the change and, and stuff. And they're going to they're looking at the volatility control and the bonus, and they're always going to be taking a look at this. I've always wondered, and you can tell me, do you see a time in the future where it could be easier to sell this without illustrations? I'm going to be completely candid with you. Our clients that truly get this buy the concept before they ever look at an illustration. Exactly. Because, because if you're a capitalist, and this is really a capitalism discussion, if you truly believe that the equity markets are going to continue to be the single best wealth accumulation place you can put your money backed by an insurance company. So they obviously are going to put some constraints around that, but to limit your downside from a guaranteed perspective, they're not going to give you all of the upside, but you're going to get a good sampling of the equity markets, whether that's S and P 500, NASDAQ, wherever. And you also believe that they're going to relatively speaking in the world that we're in at the time, make money cheaper than the cost of using your own cash as an alternative, right? Should I keep my money invested in the market or should I take it out and should I buy cash for something? I think there's always going to be in our, in our capitalist society that spread, that arbitrage between let me keep my powder dry, let me reinvest into my business, let me buy assets, let me make money that way and let me use someone else's money at a cheaper rate. And if you can get the structure within a comfort range that that business owner, that high net worth individual understands, that's what premium finance is. Yep. And when we show them an illustration, they're like, yeah, you're right. This is nowhere near what I would expect it to be. This sucks, but let's do the deal anyway. Yeah. I've always thought the equity index product was a, pro was a product that could have come out without illustrations. You know, mutual funds don't have illustrations and... Annuities really don't have illustrations and stocks could, don't for sure. Right? Yeah, we could take a lot of the regulatory part out of it if we got away from using illustrations. And maybe you have to have illustrations and death benefit sales or something like that. But for accumulation, the only thing you can tell the guy is whatever he's looking at is probably not what's going to happen. It's either going to be better or most likely. And, but and really, the AG forty nine discussion, the actuarial guideline discussion, it was really that whole life versus IUL civil war that kind of took place in our industry. And the one that's being lied to or the disservice really is to the client. If they can't see the big picture, that's where deals go to die is when a client is making a purchasing decision based off of the numbers that they're seeing on that ledger. And if that's what they really think it's going to do, well, then this isn't the right transaction for them. Well, and if they bought the numbers on that, they're easily replaced. That's right. The, the, that's right. the, the stuff that stays on the books are with the clients who understand the concept and everything, and they're not relying on the illustration. If they bought just the numbers on the illustration, anybody can come in behind you with a better number. I had a guy tell me one time, if you want to find out what's really going on, follow the money <laughs> and who's getting it and who's not getting it. Yep. And at the core of AG49 in its inception, and I don't know if it's still true to this day, 
it's taken on a life of its own now. But in its inception, that was really the thing. Certain factions or parts of the industry were getting all of the premium dollars and other part, other certain types of companies weren't getting those premium dollars. They cried enough and that's what kind of got this thing created. Well, right? and, and history will show that it's pretty much happened with every new product. Universal Life, when it came out, we were illustrating it at 16, back in the covered wagon days, John. But that's also when the fixed account was paying probably what? 18. 18? Yeah. No, I absolutely. That's But but still, we were doing illustrations and then they started re, you know, saying you couldn't do that. One variable came out. You could illustrate anything. When it first came, when, when I started in the when I started in the industry, it was not when you started. It was actually many years later. <laughs> in, in, in 2000 is when I started in the industry, and we were illustrating variable universal life insurance illustrations at 12 and 14 percent on VUOs. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And, and so there's always going to be, and and I'm not downplaying what you said like, on on. Equity index and AG49, there was a real war between the whole life carriers and the IUL carriers. And I, one of the carriers that we both know and, and love uh, didn't come to the table. And Babikin has a good line. If you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And they were one of the ones that had the most uh, unique stuff in their policies and stuff. And they should have been at the table to defend it. When they didn't, the other side won. I like that. So, if you don't go to the table, you're on the menu. You're on the menu. And so we talked to that carrier today, and they are going. They are at the table now. <laughs> you bet they are. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. I'm not sure that anything will come out of it quickly. But it's just scary to know that they're looking at it again. But I so, also, through everything else that, that that's great about the insurance industry and our products and everything, as long as we have inside buildup, we have something nobody else has. And that will keep the industry, premium financing, cash accumulation sales, and everything continuing to go because nobody else has that. And would you, again, you can't predict the future. And we've learned from a political standpoint, anything's possible. But by and large, Congress has been trying to come after the internal buildup forever. Yep. We have a very strong lobby in the insurance industry. Would you say, one, it's probably not going to happen? And two, if it does happen, that there was precedent set back in that 1989, 1990 Tamra Tefra tax law that went into effect that would draw a line of demarcation? In other words, there would be a grandfathering of existing policies under the current tax law? Yeah. I, I, Look, at any time anytime they've changed life insurance regulations and, and taxation, it's always been grandfathered. We never had one that I'm aware of that wasn't grandfathered in. So that makes you feel better. Yeah, never say never. The Elizabeth Warrens of the world and some of them are always going to bring it up. But the flip side of that is outside of Social Security, life insurance is the number one benefit in the country. You bet. And there's statistics on that. Matter of fact, if I can find some of them, I'll send them to you. But it, it is amazing how society depends on life insurance almost as much as Social Security. Again, we're talking about a very attractive, sexy, for lack of a better terminology, 
finance structure that, you know, can create a really high death benefit or when properly done, it can create a really high potential tax efficient distribution stream of income or distributions, withdrawals. But I'll give you another real life example. One of my daughters, I have two daughters, one of my daughter in the fourth grade, one of her classmates, father, one of the parents passed away from cancer today. We got a note from the school and it's heartbreaking because he had, we thought he had turned a corner and he didn't turn a corner. So he passed away today. And so this was all about how do we support the family? How do we talk to this with our children? Because it's an issue. Yeah. I'm at lunch with my wife. The first thing she says is I really would hope so-and-so had enough life insurance. Yep. It's still the thing people ask when they hear someone passes away. And that's what we need to remember in this business, John. We sell these fancy premium finance, cash accumulation, and all this stuff. When it comes back down to it, it boils down to what you just said. The product helps families. And so one of the things I I like to remind producers, because if you sell a $20 million policy, and you get mad because the insurance company is asking for maybe some detail or something and it's a pain to get, it's $20 million. Yeah, keep it in perspective. That, that company is someday going to write a check probably for $20 million, and it could be a week after you pick up something mm. could happen. So it's real money. I mean, most agents have never delivered anything that big, but it, it's real money. And go buy a $20 million house and see what you got to go through to get it. So just, just, Remember that this this is real stuff. What you guys are doing is great. It's real business. It really helps the consumer. It's real stuff. It's not funny money. And it's life changing. Either with it or without it, it's life changing. Exactly. And there's a good side of that and a bad side of that. You bet. So, as president of FFR, the most prestigious producer group in the country, what? I'm going to ask you two questions in that capacity. We won't talk about golf, although we should talk about golf. You've been dodging me for golf for the last few months now. Well, the last time I played golf, I think I was playing with Sam. And about, oh, after he'd be 100 yards past where my ball was, he'd say, this is where John hits it. (laughs) 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 I'm not in any big hurry. Remember, I'm a lot older than you. Yeah. Oh, so now you'll use that. It's it's so it's so interesting on when that card is played and when it's not played. But in your capacity as president of FFR, what keeps you up at night? Right now, in right now, economically, I would say it's interest rates and inflation keep me up at night. I don't. Not much in our industry, John. Our business is pretty solid. And at least here at FFR, we don't have a lot of fluctuations. Our people seem to be doing the business the right way. We've got a great reputation out there. The only thing that I think could stop it would be an attack on inside buildup. And there's no talk of that. Yeah. So right now is a great time in the insurance business. Look at the amount of business. We've never written. That's where I, I got into that supply and demand thing. Companies have never seen the amount of business that they're getting. That's exciting. And there's a good and a bad to that. It, the, the good to that is they're healthy and we're selling and everybody's good. The bad to that is they get a lot less creative and underwriting and stuff when they have enough business. Yeah, 
That's right. But nothing that keeps you awake. I got to be honest. When their tummies are full, they're not that motivated. That's exciting for me to hear you in all of your vast years of experience that you've got. That makes me excited to hear that you're still excited. And so to that point, as president of FFR, what are you most excited about right now? Oh, the potential for the upside for the future for FFR is incredible. We've gone through transitions and that's brought new fresh air into the organization. We have, we're up to 235 members, John, when you, back when you were on the board where we had 125? Uh, 125 pushing 160. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're at 235 now, probably going to be at 250. We had through a bunch of uh, transition and turmoil stuff we've been through. We had over 90% persistency. Look at all the other groups. Uh, right now, FFR put me aside and I'm old, but I, but I have, but I have done a lot. And, and then you look at Mr. Babikian, who's the CEO, who, who was president at Transamerica and some of the other people here, you, FFR has, it's a powerhouse, a powerful, powerful management team. And that's why I think the growth here is going to be uh, amazing. You guys are and we do our top three carriers are all mutual. We believe in the mutual story. And as far as producers groups go, we are the mutual in the producer group industry. That's a great point because I was going to bring that up a little bit earlier and I went down a different rabbit hole. Doing business with companies that keep their promises as talking in the COI, not raising COIs on a certain block of business and doing it on another block of business, mutuals tend to keep their promises. And I'm very pleased to hear that is who FFR does most of their business with from a one, two, three standpoint, but also that FFR views itself and is viewed as a mutual, right? Yeah, it is a mutual. It is a mutual for all, all intents and purposes. Yeah, and it, it is a mutual. And the, yeah. the mutuals can make those decisions because they don't have the same pressure. A mutual company, and I've always said this, has to be run just as well as a stock company. Yeah, a mutual company still has to be run and make good, sound business decisions but they just don't have the pressure of those quarterly calls so they can keep the consumer in mind first. Huge difference, not a knock on the stock companies. It's just a different setup, but the stock companies answer to the stockholders, not necessarily the policyholders. Yeah. And to that point, stockholders want price per earnings ratio. They want dividends on stock. They can lose sight of what you and I talked about, the impact of solid structured life insurance business, delivering death benefits and doing the right thing for people. Yeah, right? absolutely. And we can show examples of that. Look at, they, they really cut down on their distribution and said, we're gonna focus on the people we wanna focus on to, that are bringing us the good business. FFR is the top of the list, but a stock company couldn't make that decision. They don't have that flexibility. I'm thrilled you're in the position that you're in. I'm thrilled to call you a friend. I would call you a golf buddy, but we actually have to golf to do more of that to call you a golf buddy. But I'll call you a golf buddy. At one point in time, you were a golf buddy. Yeah, I'll call you a golf buddy because I still remember it's who gets in the hole first. It's not who hits it the farthest. (laughs) Well, I'm still working on that part. (laughs) I'm still working on that part. And you tend to be a little bit better than that on your California weird sloping green courses and what I am. 
but the, the day's coming. But Mike, thank you for taking the time to be on the Premium Finance Show. I know your time is extremely valuable. You got a lot of stuff going on. Thank you, sir. And I would like to reserve if we do have any big changes that happen in the industry or anywhere relative to the insurance finance space, I'd like to reserve the right to call you back on if that's okay. Anytime. And I just want to let you know that FFR loves Cool Spring. Sam's okay, but you're great. And we're glad to see some young blood come in there to keep Sam moving. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you, sir. I will see you probably in a couple of weeks, if not a couple months and be blessed. I'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. Take care. All right. There we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at premiumfinanceshow.com. And you can find out more about all the ways we can help you at coolspringsfinancial.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next time.